Which one is it? You must choose, but choose wisely, as a true grail will bring you life, and the false grail will take it from you. He chose poorly. Hey, everybody. This uh, episode's a little bit different than normal, and with good reason, because I likely tortured you into watching Jinlock. So I want to start with that baseline and we can work our ways from there. Uh, um, yeah, uh, it, it, I'm not as down on it perhaps as you, but certainly um, it was not one of my favorite shows to watch. But let's, let's, let's start with, with yeah, so I mean, for, for, for everyone's listening, um, we're not going to go episode by episode like we usually do because um, there's just not a lot of nice things to say about it. So we're going to kind of just instead focus on the show as a whole. We're not going to break it down a- as much, but I'll let Chris start because he definitely has a lot of concerns that I want to hear. I haven't, I haven't heard all these yet. <laughs> so when we were originally making the episodes, the episode list for the season, I remembered that Michael, J- Michael B. Jordan was going to be in an anime. Mm-hmm. And so I kept that in the back of my mind. We're coming with the list. I had enough time to watch maybe the first five minutes of it. And like, all right, we should add this to the list. We'll put it towards the end so we can sort of have a more modern take on anime. And then we'll end with like the pinnacle of animes, which I still will not tell you because that would be a spoiler if I told you this earlier. Right. And once I finally had a chance to sit down to start watching it post Gen Con to like date the episode for folks, mm-hmm. um, I power watched it in one day and it was horrible. And after finishing like the second episode, I wanted to stop. And I thought about calling or texting Eddie. Was like Eddie's probably watched this like two weeks ago. And <laughs> I did. What kind of see? What kind of asshole would I would be to go? Hey, I just watched this thing that I suggested. We ain't doing it. Uh, so I finished it all to make sure, and it hurt every single episode. Every minute of it hurt more and more. And not in a good hurt how Southern Cross did. Like we we beat up Southern Cross, but we still liked Southern Cross. Right. Mm-hmm. This was bad and dull and wasted so much potential because it had Michael B. Jordan, it had Dakota Fanning, David Tennant, Maisie Williams, and like all these other great voice actors mm-hmm. and actresses. And I wanted to like check out their work. And that was not enough to save it. And so I am apologizing to everyone. I chose poorly. And I mean, that's part of the reason uh, why we're kind of doing this a little differently because, because to your point, um, part of the, the, the stated mission of the show is we want to celebrate genre media and you, through that celebration, talk about what's cool about the respective genres that we're analyzing. We did that with so space opera. We, we've done that with, with Mecca. And through this season, we've had a more kind of circuitous path, but there's bad, interesting like you said, uh, uh, Southern Cross, um, the second half of Bubble Crisis, where we didn't like it, but we still got some interesting conversations out of it and still led towards our ultimate goal of let's talk about what this is doing for for our understanding of the genre and to a larger extent, our enjoyment of these shows. Um, but sometimes there's stuff out there that it's not good. It's not bad in an interesting way. It, it's just kind of, eh. Um, we ran into a little bit of that with, at least for, and you're, well, we both kind of agreed that the, set, the last half of the Voltron reboot was a bit meh. And we just kind of ran out of stuff to say because it wasn't good and it wasn't bad in an interesting way. Um, so that's kind of the reason we decided to, to, to approach this all differently because if we just went through every episode, it would just be, and this sucked, and this sucked, and this sucked. So rather, we're <laughs> going to kind of look at it from a wider perspective and see if we can find something interesting to talk about, but also then maybe kind of deconstruct a little bit more um, what these kind of conversations can lead to. And it also didn't help that after I'd finished it, it was bad. And I said, all right, I'll take a day. Maybe it'll get better. It didn't get better. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll do a little bit of YouTube and go down the YouTube hole a little bit, how I do for a lot of shows for like a couple hours. Mm-hmm. And then to discover that the like lead creator of the show was like a bag of dicks that was an asshole to people that work for them and I think got fired or replaced at the end of the first season and they brought in like a whole new team of people and other drama made me even less inclined to want to like break down the show and get into like the the nuts and bolts of it. 
Yeah, and if you don't mind, um, I, I think it's worth taking a digression and talk about the company that made this, Rooster Teeth, because um, you weren't familiar with them, but I know I have some knowledge of them. Uh, so Rooster Teeth has been around for about 20 years, and they actually started as a machinima uh, studio. Um, they do uh, Red and Blue, uh, which is basically they take the, the original Halo game and used it to make you know, a comedy series on YouTube back in 2003. So they're like one of the OG machinima, OG YouTube creator. So they've been around for like a really long time. Uh, and if you've ever watched uh, Red vs. Blue, it's it's okay. I mean, I, I enjoyed it back in the day. I've rewatched it recently. It's, it's, it, it got better than it's now still going on. It's, I think it's gotten worse. Um, but on the back of that, they started doing... Uh, other machinima shows and they start doing their own unique content and they eventually branched out into animation. Uh, this is one of their uh, posts uh, uh, acquisitions. They've been acquired by um, Warner brothers uh, unique things. They also worked on uh, RWBG or whatever I forget what it's called. Um, I'm going to look at RWBY. That's the one. Uh, so John came after that. And also those they're the studio that did the Netflix exclusive Transformers War for Cybertron shows, um, which are uh, not my favorites. Let's say let's leave it there. Uh, but one of the things is they have a very distinctive animation style because they do completely keep your animation, but they they limit the frame rate so it looks jerky. So it's supposed to look like hand drawn animation, except it doesn't work. It just looks like it's you know, bad rendering. And as soon as I saw jerkiness, I was like, oh no, please tell me this is a rooster teeth thing. And then I saw the credits I'm like, oh, it's a rooster teeth thing. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, rooster teeth is a company that was formed by a bunch of gamers who were making a YouTube show and then it grew into a business. Uh, so yeah, um, uh, the one, the, the guy who worked on this, uh, his name is uh, Gary Haddock. He was one of the founders of Rooster Teeth. And yeah, um, he, after Allegations says 19, he was not only removed from the show, but from the company. Um, because Papa Warner Brothers didn't really want that kind of stuff around anymore. Uh, so Rooster Teeth has since evolved into basically being an animation studio. And they're now also, again, doing things for Netflix, doing things for other companies. They do some commercials now. Uh, so they're very different from where they started. But certainly they had that, for lack of a term, do-bro gamer culture embedded in there. So I wasn't entirely surprised when you told me, oh, yeah, by the way, they got fired for being kind of a bag of dicks. So that is all context I didn't have. And yeah. Bruh. All right. Um, where do we want to start? <laughs> so just to give folks even a point of reference, I poured myself a a a three finger pour of whiskey to help like get through this. <laughs> I it have is, a margarita, it, so nice. Uh it is in the afternoon because we record who knows when these days, but uh for me it's post work <laughs> and I've had all day to think about how great this show isn't. <laughs> so, I mean, let's, let's kind of um, start with uh, the premise, right? Like um, it's very clearly drawing from Mecha anime. When, when I first started watching it, I, was like, I could see why you thought this might be a good show to add in uh, because it's very much a bunch of young pilots uh, are getting together to save the world from an alien invasion. They, pilot their suits, the suits are not autonomous. Um, and there was definitely kind of a, a, a Gundam meets Pacific Rim vibe to the initial premise. I even felt like a little raw Zephon in there too. Like from okay. the initial five or so minutes I saw of it. Mm -hmm. And, but even as we sort of like progressed through the show, I could see, I just started like seeing all the animes that they're pulling from, like the Ghost in the Shell from it. And the Gundam, and they weren't like light touches or like nods to it. It was felt almost, let's just scrub off some serial numbers and we put it right there and we put them in a blender and put it all together and we'll have magic. Yeah. In my notes, which I, I didn't about the transcribing when you told me you wanted to change formats, but one of my notes was um, they're clearly inspired by Bubblegum Crisis's heavy inspiration of the Terminator, you know, in the sense of like, I'm going to take this 
in, inspiration and then just plop it in. Really change it. All right, but no. So how you were saying? We start like um, I don't even have notes up. I'm just off, totally no, that's off, fine. I mean, more I mean, so than I, normal. I don't think we need to go through the plots, but like let's just kind of start talking about what, if anything worked, what didn't work. The concept, the initial concept, I think, is a great one, where you have equivalent like you're mentally controlling Max, which is a, right. a great thing. I, I love that concept. You limit it with like their uptime and everything else, so it has parameters set to it and it makes him more capable than a standard pilot mech because you remove some of the innate like human reflex time like mm-hmm. that is a great concept to put in mm-hmm. i think i'm out <laughs> so um a, a couple things that i saw like you mentioned the voice actor cast it is a fantastic cast and it's actually i think more amazing than perhaps you realized um uh, like i know that uh, cowboy bebop is there Yes, right. Yeah, uh, Koichi Yamadera. Um, he was he played Spike, the Japanese actor for Spike in Cowboy Bebop. Um, so they definitely got a really strong cast. Uh, but as someone who has both been an aficionado of animation for a long time, and also someone who has worked with voice actors and has directed voice actors and been directed by directors, um, I have started to notice. I can tell when a group has either strong chemistry and or are actually recording in the same space or if they're recording their lines separately. And this absolutely felt like everyone was recorded their lines probably on different days, maybe even in different studios uh, because rarely did it seem that the characters were actually talking to each other. It's like they're talking at each other. I don't know if you got a similar vibe. Uh, A little bit, but a lot of, I think that for me comes to the fact that, we call it, we're calling them characters, but they're not really. They're sort of almost stereotypes of what a character would be because we don't get depth or go into them at all. So the emotional beats that we would have gotten that would have been conveyed through like the anime and the voice acting never has a place to like find a home with anyone. No, that's fair. Um, like when I was listening, I actually didn't uh, look up the the names. I tried to I tried to not look at the credits. Um, for animation uh, on my first watch through. And like, as soon as voice tenant or David Tennant started talking, I was like, okay, it's David Tennant. Because not only do I recognize David Tennant, but it's specifically David Tennant doing his 10th doctor voice. Because <laughs> David Tennant's actual voice is actually different. But since Doctor Who, he keeps re- getting recast to do that voice. And sometimes that works. Like um, if we ever talk about Jessica Jones, his Casting in Jessica Jones is actually brilliant on a meta level, and I have a whole lot of thoughts on that front. But here, it it drew me out because it's like, oh, he's playing Doctor Who again, and the character very much felt like a watered down version of the Doctor, and doesn't really change from that point. Even after spoiler, he dies. <laughs> it actually felt a little bit like the Seventh Doctor from the uh, Big Finish novels. Ooh. After the the Cartmel master plan, where he is definitely more of sort of a, a master plotter, and he has everything already set up in places and stages that sort of occurs. Well, yes, but also like, um, like let's compare him to like say Gundam Wing, right? Um, because there are characters in there who are also master plotters, where their plan doesn't make a damn lick of sense, but the characterization is so strong and the acting is so strong that like, I don't even care. It's like, I believe you're a master plotter, even though there's no reason why your master plotter should work. So the strength of the acting and the strength of the animation to a degree, um, strength is in quotes there. I felt <laughs> carried me along. It's like, yes, of course I believe that Oz is behind all of this nonsense. Um, with this, I never once believed it. It just felt like coincidence upon a coincidence and guy pointing at it going, yes, I was holding my plan all along. And it's like, you did nothing to do with this. It's what it felt like to me. It felt like it was just a bunch of stuff happened. Because we had more exposition dumps and we had actual plot growth and beats. Right. Um, now, I will say, I don't know how much of this is because our usual format is we take chunks of episodes and we don't want watch them necessarily connecting. But I did notice early on that when we, when we paid our first skip, um, we, we skipped like one or two episodes. Um, I started watching. I felt like almost, I didn't feel like anything happened. Like I was actually wondering maybe if I accidentally watched the next episode instead of skipping. 
because I felt like nothing can happen between those two episodes. You nope. did not miss a lot because we're, we're only supposed to watch six, but it was bad. And I felt like I, I, I owed something to you and to our, <laughs> our listener. And I watched like 10 episodes of this monstrosity. Mm-hmm. That's almost like all of it. Sec- yeah. Yeah. It's even more why I have even more hate for it. Um, like in the second episode where that finished sort of wrapped that up, wrapped up that little pilot part of it. Mm-hmm. Wasn't great. Although I think that did have one of the best scenes in the entire series where they first have like their cool little armor that sort of enhances their speed and everything just a little bit. Oh, right. Yeah. And you have a union spy sneak in and they have like this great fist fight with the union spy who tries to escape. Like that combat scene was nice, mm-hmm. but even the plan of that union spy was horrible. So you get your union spy in and his entire thing is to steal one of the holocrons. Mm-hmm. Great. So your plan is if you're genetic, if you can genetically lock and not die, which you may or may not know that part, but your plan mm-hmm. is to leave your body here with them while you're running around in a holocron. Mm-hmm. Like there's a disconnect there. Like, mm. <laughs> They have your body. They can kill your body, which may lock you in the holocron, but then you're in one holocron, stuck at a base, surrounded by all of them, and they have their expert holocron pilot. Right, and that was another part of it is um, uh, one of the plot points is uh, Julian Chase, the main character, dies. Dies actually before the show begins. Um, mm. We don't know he's dead until the big reveal is that he's dead, but Reimagine as a computer program. That's it. So that's the big cliffhanger episode one. And then the plot of kind of season one from the bits I saw was that um, they didn't believe he could be copied. And then they found that not only he could be copied, but had been copied and was shoved into a whole bunch of robot suits. So and again, I will say I didn't watch all the episodes, so maybe this is explained, but it really felt like making copies first of all that he was not the main character we're following is not actually the first copy he's not the closest to death is actually a copy removed uh, and then that some act of copying this character into multiple machines somehow diluted him and i was like on the one hand please explain why that's true but because I, I don't understand why making a character copied makes them quote unquote evil and then the other part of that is that that's not how computer programs work. You make a copy of it is a complete copy of it. You don't have degradation of code. It's it's a, you it's a literal you copy everything. May I I will give them the this 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 is part I really really hate. I'm gonna come back to, but I will give them the maybe they were trying to give like a a high five to all the old school anime fans who had to like copy their anime on VHSs. And <laughs> I, think, I think it's really what it was, right? I think that was, they're like, because you are of our age, you will understand that this copying because of VHS technology. I'm like, you're putting a lot of emphasis in your futuristic show of an analogy that you never make to antiquated technology. <laughs> all right. So you're, 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 you're hitting on the crux of what I hate of, about this show beyond measure. Because you have a a black person who mm-hmm. they've effectively removed half their body. So I have mm-hmm. there's a whole thing in media about how create like white writers and creators and other sometimes other people would go and part of their thing is they destroy black bodies. Like Coates talks at in at endlessly about it and on point. And yeah, like that's uh, cyborg, why uh, spawn lots of characters, yeah. That's why I personally am not a fan of Cyborg. I'm not a big fan of Spawn because you were destroying and removing the blackness of that character. Mm-hmm. And you've got that coupled with the historical insults of them having a black character in that condition, then sign medical stuff so they could do whatever medically they want to him. So the government tricking a black per- a black mm-hmm. soldier into more medical experiments. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we had a thereby- bad problem with that in history, yeah. <laughs> thereby then enslaving also a black character. And then you have the enemy forces who've enslaved an entire crop of black characters who are your primary antagonist for the entire show. Mm-hmm. And your, your primary objective is to kill black people. Mm-hmm. Like throughout the 
whole course of the show. And then you have a black person that has to go and constantly equivalently kill themselves over and over and over. And, and this is all done by light skinned and white people killing black people. I was about to say is like, you know, Rufus Weller, which is David Tennant's character being very much hetero straight white man being the mastermind behind all of this and him being presented as probably explicitly a white savior. He's going to save us all. So like, right. And like, there were other bits like that, not, not obviously to the extreme, but there are the bits like that bug me. Like initially, uh, let's talk about uh, uh, Kaichi's character. Uh, his name is uh, Kazu Ida. Um, he's a, a man from the Japanese military. And initially, I thought it was very cool the fact that he only spoke Japanese because, like, well, you're all mind linked. There's no reason why he would have to speak English. You understand what he's saying because you now speak Japanese. And he chooses not to speak. I mean, theoretically, reverse what you're saying. I don't see need to speak English because. This is the language I'm comfortable with. And so he's always subtitled. Uh, and I thought that was actually interesting. But then everything that he does is the stereotype of a Japanese man from an American perspective. Mm-hmm. He's into anime. He's into warrior culture. He spouts Bushido stuff. And while I recognize that there is a certain culture of otaku fans in Japan who follow this stuff and internalize that in the same way that Americans internalize superhero myth um, by making that the only real view we have of the character and doesn't really change from what we saw of the show is really upsetting. So it's another person of character who's basically falls into bad media tropes. And it's trying to find like a good way to discuss some of this because it's very frustrating. Um, mm-hmm. And now I've forgotten her name, but the second pilot that came with, over with Tenet and you get like allusions to like their background and everything else. And in second season, you find out which I don't think you saw this episode, but mm. the pillar or the pitney or whoever Pol- polity, the polity started the entire war by right. bombing, like, I think it was their holy building that had some sort of metal or something they wanted. Mm. And they equivalently tried to make that character one of the good ones by turning to the polity. Right. And I do want to say, I mean, we're talking about a lot of heavy stuff here. I am willing to believe that let's say most, if not all, I don't know all, but let's say most of the people probably are not thinking about this stuff, which is part of the problem. But I don't think it's the, there's intent on this. I think it's just we're going to make a fun sci-fi show. And there certainly were attempts to be inclusive. Like I said, you know, having the Japanese voice, bringing a Japanese voice actor to play a Japanese character and allowing him to speak all in Japanese and use his native language to emote is an interesting touch and a cool touch. Um, there's a character, uh, Val slash Valentina, who is gender fluid and is played by a gender fluid actor. Uh, so there's definitely intents to try to be inclusive, but it doesn't absolve the, the underpinning problems. Uh, to, to, to a different point, um, one that's a little closer to, to my heart, uh, I don't have to talk about it on this show. There's an episode of Simpsons that came out this year. Uh, featuring a deaf actor and it's playing a deaf character. Um, and they have a deaf voice actor and it's like, wow, that, you know, of course some people are like, what, that doesn't make sense. It's like, yes, no, deaf people still talk. Um, and there's a certain kind of cadence and way of speaking that is distinctive to deaf people. Uh, and on top of all of that, uh, they actually spent time to rework American Sign Language to work with the, um, the the Simpson hands because they don't have uh, four fingers and a thumb, they have three fingers and a thumb. So they actually reworked the sign language to work with the hands and they make sure they animate it as accurately as possible given the limitations of the characters that they've been portrayed for, you know, 55 million years. Um, and it's like, that's great. You know, you're clearly making a strong effort. And the story is about 
a musician who has gone deaf and therefore he can no longer enjoy music and th- his life is less hopeful and meaningful because he can't hear sounds now. And I'm like, what the fuck? Right. And I think, so it's kind of a similar boat of like, you're clearly trying, but you're, you're focusing on the details and missing the larger problem with your narrative. So one of the things that has become more and more um, to the forefront is a lot of companies attempt to, how can I put this, um, pretend that they believe in diversity and inclusion and they will put that out and then not do the actual work that's associated with it. Mm-hmm. And for instance, there's a lot of different, in television, it works along the font of like finding people or presenting people, but then not giving them the same strength or quality in the scripts and the writing that you would do for primarily like cis white presenting cis white characters. Right. And then you can say, oh, we've got our inclusion and diversity, but it didn't work. And so we're not going to do it anymore. We're just going to give you this white thing again. And yep. part of that is them making it purposely weaker. And sometimes it's even worse is what they're going to do is they know they have something that don't work and they want to get a larger fan base. So they try to make it appear inclusive. Right. This is the um, uh, superhero shows women leads don't sell argument that's been going on for decades. Um, or shows with black leads don't sell that, 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 that going for decades and 10, like something like black Panther comes along and it's like, we had no idea this market was here. And it's like, N- yes, you did. You just didn't do anything good with it. You know? Um, so, so go ahead. No, please go. Well, I was just going to say is like, it's not, again, I mean, I, I don't attribute malice to all of this. Like, you know, Michael P. Jordan was an executive producer on this show. I'm sure he definitely wanted to make as exclusive show as possible, but, Sometimes you're so focused on the details, you miss the larger problems and you put stuff out and it's like, you know, and, and so you have the question, like, how can people put this stuff out? And it's like, sometimes it's, it's, it, they're just, for lack of a better term, you know, they're, they're not seeing it. They, they, they don't recognize what's wrong. Um, or you're trying to, I think of it as like uh, painting chairs in a Titanic, you know, right? It's like, we can make sure this whole deck looks fantastic and spotless, but you know, the ship is still sinking. <laughs> and uh, part of it goes sorry no god uh part of it goes back to something that i've been pushing for in like my day job and in my ttrpg job is that you need inclusivity and diversity throughout the entire structure of every single company in every single writing room and like in casting everywhere that's why you can't have like a primarily just one group of people doing something if you're presenting a like a true representation of people. You need everyone to be there to all have an equal voice almost from the jump so that you can say, well, that's not quite right. Well, did you think about this perspective of it? And that sort of fuses into something that works and gels. Right. Um, as, a, as a positive example, um, and I've already talked a little bit about this on my first run of Speechless, um, the Hawkeye TV show, I thought, did a, a pretty good job of this, at partially because, A, they presented two different characters with hearing loss and then juxtaposed them against each other. So that way there's a lot more depth and texture to to the whole exploration of hearing loss. But also by having the deaf character played by a deaf actor and then having her being able to actually talk to the other actors and, and give them advice and suggestions – it made for a much more well-rounded and organic experience because it's like, okay, there's that lived experience. If she were just there to recite lines and walk off, that that's not going to be as much, but it's like the fact that she was allowed to contribute and other people listened to that, I think made the show better and more interesting as a result. Mm-hmm. I've never seen Hawkeye, so I don't like superheroes. <laughs> you are a filthy liar. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I need to laugh. Sorry. Um, but no, I I agree. And maybe someday we'll talk about Hawkeye. Right. Um, but back back to this. I mean, won't be next season because next season romantic comedies. <laughs> you keep threatening with this, <laughs> and there are some decent ones out there, but that's all in this art. Um. 
it's like, but but getting back to 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 Genlock, um, the let, let, I think we've established, we've talked about the the kind of significant cultural problems with it. Um, but let's take that off the table for a moment, right? Let's, let's for some reason excuse that. Uh, you're you're asking me to do like six impossible things before breakfast just i understand um then let me rephrase that let's just focus on like the actual giant robot part of it is more where i was going for with this okay because that ostensibly that is the reason we're doing this is to talk about giant robot mecha anime and the whole time i was watching the actual robot parts i was like i have i was like how long will it be before chris mentions Voltron season seven again. Cause it was the same thing. It was, there was no, they, they felt dull. They felt boring. They felt weightless. I mean, it, it felt like it was just computer models fighting each other, which is exactly what it was. I didn't feel like they, there was actually anything happening there. And there were some brutal looking fights that happened, but it never felt connected to the characters and the characters never felt connected to the robots. I purposely did mention Voltron. It it took a, a lot of a lot of effort to not. But you were do thinking that. it. You, I know you were thinking it. A little bit, <laughs> but at the same time, though, it goes back to some of the inherent issues with Gundam Wing. Like we have this super powerful thing. We'll, we'll mm-hmm. focus just on the Nemesis. And as you watch, even in the first scenes, you watch the Nemesis, prog- the Nemesis progress. Mm-hmm. It makes these rapid advancements in power and tech level like beyond belief by like the eighth episode of first season it's flying at what Mach six right to get there instantly with like 18 arms and it like beats them all down and then they have to form blazing mind to beat it <laughs> you let you open the voltron door so i felt comfortable no no it. you're absolutely right um, it's whatever that was happening and like that loses so much for me personally as a viewer because I want to see like the skill the pilot matter. The fact that they were mentally in them should have been enough. And even if it was a broken copy of a computer program that was controlling the nemesis, the nemesis has been uploaded for years longer. So it should just innately be better right. if you're going off that model. Mm-hmm. And it's not innately better. It just gets more stuff which then defeats the entire purpose of them uploading to be in Mecca's to be better. Or when chase decides that he won't go back to his body and can suddenly do all this nifty new things. Mm-hmm. Like where, where's the line? Like we need to establish our baseline and we work from there at a progressive rate. And it's kind of compounded in season two um, because it de- the nemesis, I mean, there's lots of them. They developed the Dalek problem, right? Which is, in Ugh. Doctor Who, in time, one Dalek is a terrifying force for evil. A thousand Daleks is easily destroyed by a small wind. Or the Hand of Omega. Or the Hand of Omega, which is basically a small wind. It really feels that powerful. Wind. Why would it stay on Earth for 30 years? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, We're just going to do a Doctor Who cast. I hope you know. Yeah, we're just going to make Doctor, seventh Doctor references all, all day. That's what's happening here. Um, but no, it's true, right? It, it, it's like, um, it, or, you know, look at uh, martial arts films. One martial artist is a badass. 15 martial artists all line up and get their asses beaten in subsequent order. Um, the, 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 the diminishing returns of additive properties in, in antagonists. Uh, so when you have the power scale on one side going up and then power scale on the other side going down, um, and I suspect probably at some point in season two, they're just kind of swatting nemeses with one single punch left and right, which like, again dilutes it dilutes your antagonist. It's something that um, I'm actually surprised they can be as long to make this analogy on this podcast, but it, it is something I think about with wrestling, right? One of the reasons why characters are beloved in wrestling is because they have good antagonists. They have good bad guys. And the, more powerful a bad guy seems, the more you care about the person that they're beating up on because you want them to overcome that. If the, if the person that you're cheering for just wins easily and just keeps winning and keeps winning and keeps winning and keeps winning, you get bored of them. You get tired of them and eventually you start to hate them. This is you know, the Hulk Hogan or the John Cena trajectory, depending on which era you're wrestling you're familiar with. So you, you know, ultimately your 
heroes need to be on the back foot for most of the journey until near the end. And to your earlier point, the first five minutes and ultimately the first episode feel like it's going to go that route. It's like, okay, this character's, he lost his family. He's lost his girlfriend. He's dead. Um, he's trying to come back. And he finds out that part of his memory is missing. It's like, cool. He has all this stuff to overcome. And then he kind of just gets over it halfway through season one. Um, and then oh. all these other characters come in and they don't like him. And there's tension there. It's okay, cool, great. But then it's not like, he has a valid concern and they're pushing against it. It's like, no, he just comes off like an asshole. It's like, we need to mind link with this because it makes us stronger. He's like, I don't want to. And then just doesn't <laughs> give a reason. And it's like, well, cause this is all I have in my mind. And it's like, but that's really everyone. <laughs> I mean, so your point doesn't really make sense. So you just come across like an entitled asshole, a dead entitled asshole at that. And it's, it's equally frustrating because you go through all that, and then at the end of first season, wearing mind links, and they become a team. Mm-hmm. It's instantly wiped away at the start of second season. Yes, and it's basically we saw the first season, and then it's like we picked up in season six, and we're missing seasons two through five to see what really happened. Because right. you suddenly have the union has taken over all of the U.S. other than like California, mm-hmm. in a week, maybe a couple months. Right. That is now. I will say that um, in, in my research for this, um, because I did research before I knew we were doing this, so I already have separation in my head now, and you're going to deal with it. Uh, originally, the first season was just made like kind of for Rooster Tooth. It was there. It, they had their own separate subscription service and streaming platform. You can sign up for it, and then their, their, you know, their fans could watch it. And then HBO Max picked it up and what I understand is that part of the reason picking up is that they would then also make a season two. So not only did you fire the guy who did season one, but also season one is kind of meant to be a one and done deal. I suspect initially and say, like, now we have to come a second season. Um, and they went about it basically the worst place way possible, which is let's just ignore large chunks of what happened in season one and also raise the stakes arbitrarily. It's like in a way I, you know, to, to give Southern Cross some love, which just tells you where we're at in this viewpoint of where these shows land. Um, Southern Cross did that by wiping a slate clean and setting up a new status quo. But they did it with different characters. Like, this is the next generation of characters. Um, yes, the stuff that happened in the first season still matters as much as we're able to with the animation we have on hand. But the point is that they keep referencing Rick Hunter and the ship. But that's also like, you know, that's 10 years ago. So the status quo has gotten worse, has been reset, but now these new characters have to deal with the problem and they have to grow and expand and they're overcoming similar problems, but they're doing it in their own way. Not a very good way, but the point is that it's a, it's a new attempt to look at the same problems. So I feel like if they had been like, okay, first episode, let's season two, let's just wipe out most of this cast. And then now they have to find a new group of people who don't have that experience. So not only are we in the back foot, but also we have to train up a whole new group of people on top of it. Then now you can start to feel the stakes again and you can start to set your own stamp on the program and to be blunt, maybe correct course, correct for some of the problems from the first season. But they, they had that opportunity like in the end of episode six, first season, where oh, yeah, like sure. the, the nano cloud goes into the base. You could have wiped everyone out right then. Mm-hmm. Like dead. And all right. So let's do something. I think that'll be a little bit more fun. Um, if you were going to remake this show, how would you do it? You've um, got to stick with you. Got you have to stick with the major plot beats, but you can change around like the inner the stuff in the middle, right? Um. So my first gut was I would change around some of the characters and what states they're in, uh, but I realized that Chase is the problem, right? Chase is the big kind of linchpin problem. Because if you make him not black, then you don't have a black lead anymore, which takes away a huge problem. You know, we're just swapping one set of bad genre tropes for another. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the only way to make this work is that is you f- flip the status, right? Chase is the only living person. Everybody else has died. And they are engrams. So that way, he's trying to... He's basically, you know... In charge of a ghost fleet, effectively. 
and he's got to keep them together and organized while also it's creepy to be surrounded by friends and colleagues that are now dead knowing that you can't let them necessarily realize that because it may interfere with their capabilities and also then you still have the copying you know uh the code problems and the nemesis and all that um then then but then, then i definitely then you can make the nemesis an amalgamation of those dead characters right mm-hmm. so it's like if they they can mind link because they have free will and they get power from that mind link nemesis is basically a forced mind link which just shoves them all together and they're going slowly slowly insane as a result of that i feel like there's there's a more interesting story here about free will versus uh, uh being forced into an autonomous machine for the purposes of war that could be an interesting storyline to follow and also get into some of the ethics of like drone warfare of like is it ethical to use the memories of dead soldiers to continue a war where they've been killed in a certain degree you know it's like there's an implicit you're out of the war if you're dead and now, in this case, it's no longer true, which is another point that just never gets touched on. The ethics of resurrecting a soldier who died to have him keep fighting the war. Um, so, I mean, I, I, think, I think there's more work to be done, but I think it's probably the first step is to kind of just flip that and let Julian Chase be like, actually be a leader. and But let his conflict and his um, personality issues not not be just... I'm dead and therefore kind of a prick to more of the it's disconcerting to be surrounded by nobody who's alive. Mm, okay. What do you, about you? Uh, I wouldn't, I don't think I'd go that, that route. I think I would go for the crash and in the crash, he lost his memory and I would go more for the amnesia and having to overcome that obstacle and like retouching base. But it's he would not, be stuck in like the tank he would be like fully funk he'd be fully running around like everybody else right but you don't focus so much on like the the physical the physical death but the like mental anguish of dying and they made copies they they could still have like their copy of him that they'd made because they wouldn't be sure if he could still do what he could do before because he doesn't have like all of his original memories and so you mm-hmm. can then still have your copy but then it's not a copy of a person that you've enslaved and broken, but it's someone who's trying to remember who they are. And I wouldn't have it be an army of nemesis. I would still have it be one nemesis. And then you would have that nemesis copy of Julian and you would have like Julian and all of the team. But the thing is when they stole like that copy of Julian, they might've gotten like a little bit of the, then I would have taken episode six to kill everyone on the base and let them get a little bit of the nano of like the gene lock tech. And then they're trying to figure out the gene lock tech while you have our gene lock team still trying to fight against one primary antagonist. And then you have like a race against time over the over over the ongoing seasons to see if you could stop the union before they unlock gene lock tech and get people to go and do like shenanigans. So similar plot beats, but removing some of the problematic elements and I would also de-stereotype the cast and I would add, so my entire first season would be right up onto the point of where the nanotech like goes with the base. Like the end of first season would be nanotech flushing the base. Mm-hmm. And those other three or four episodes are character-based episodes. And you get to see the characters, you get to engage with them, and you get to add more depth and layers to them. Yeah. So even if they follow somewhat of a stereotype, you get to see more of who they are and just not like this is all we got right and that was something that i really felt was a missed opportunity is that you can still have the plot go forward and have character-centric episodes um you know it's like whatever the next beat of the plot is the character you're focusing on is the one who either needs to overcome the obstacle or is in the thick of the obstacle that needs to be overcome and we learn about that character by just putting a spotlight on them while the plot's happening around them. Um, this is something that um, uh, Next Generation Star Trek did pretty well. Uh, Deep Space Nine did really, really well. Um, where it's like the overall Dominion War arc uh, for Deep Space Nine, but you would still have like uh, uh, you know, a Brian Fostek episode, uh, you know, a Bashir-focused episode, uh, while those beats of the Dominion War are still happening. Uh, so... 
I, I think that they can both coexist, but I agree with you. When you have that kind of huge status quo shift, you can kind of be plot heavy, use the first few episodes to really get like your your first couple of main characters established. Then once the status quo changes, then you can kind of move the camera around because we've already established who the doctor and who uh, the main pilot are. Then let the rest of the team have their moments to shine while we figure out how this new status quo is going to shake out. And given second season, how they killed, oh, I forgot Cowboy Bebop's name, but they just outright kill that character. He doesn't come back. Kazoo. He doesn't yeah. like ascend like everyone else. And you have Maisie Williams, whose character, since I watched some other middle stuff, basically commits suicide. Oh, jeez. Oh, is that why she yeah. was in a new body? Oh, yeah. God. And that's why they're all surprised when she came back as a bunny. I think she fall, fall, fell into like the union doctrine and committed suicide. Jeez. Out of the, like, out of the blue. Like not in your character, but boop, boop. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I mean, they they presented her prior to that as like having some anxiety, but not to that level. Nothing was earned. <sighs> hmm. A lot of problematics, and nothing was like at all. And it's just we want to be here. All right, we're here, and we have someone to explain to you why we're here. Right. So. I think our, our opinions are clear. This is, I think, very comfortably the bottom of our list of what we reviewed in this season, arguably the entire podcast. Uh, I think I'm shocked to say that I like Southern Cross better than something. That That is a revelation I didn't, did, didn't even associate because I was so irritated. Wow. Because, I mean, as much as we beat up Southern Cross, we still had fun watching it, right? Yeah. It was to laugh at it. Even classic Voltron, it's like I was laughing at that show way more than that show expected me to laugh at it, I'm sure. But I still had fun watching it because, if nothing else, listening to Sven was just made me happy every time because it's such a ridiculous accident. And Paige was a badass. Paige was a badass. Oh, my God. Um, but, you know, to, to kind of zoom this back to why we're doing this a little differently. There is value in criticizing media to this extent, right? Um, again, our goal is never to be like, let's laugh at this bad thing. Uh, well, okay, let me rephrase that. We obviously laugh at bad things, but usually when we're laughing Not at bad things, it's right. It's from a place of, of we want to like this and we're laughing at it to kind of get through it. Not in this case, we're laughing at it to get a bad taste out of our mouth. Um, and, but I mean, I don't think we're going to make a habit of going, this thing is hugely problematic and here's why. But it is occasionally sometimes useful to get that for two reasons, I think. Uh, one is obviously to learn as creatives ourselves how we can always do better. By looking at a negative example, you can go, there's a certain amount of, well, I could do better than that. Um, and frankly, sometimes in the wee hours of the night when you're trying to wonder why the fuck you do this, having a negative example go, well, Jesus Christ, I could do better than that sometimes helps you <laughs> get over the hump, at least gets me over the hump. Uh, but also to your point about Southern Cross, it can help you to recontextualize other media, uh, in the sense of even, even in the, when we were like, why are we still watching this? you know, at, at one stage during, during this uh, season, um, you know, we, then it's okay. Well then this, uh, this other show comes along. Oh, this show, that's really good. Um, Southern cross. We're now, we came before we watched Southern cross. We had one perception of it. We watched it. We had a second perception of it. And now we're looking back on it. We have yet another perception of it. Our relationship with media always changed based on the new media we're consuming and engaging with. So it's always good to occasionally go, oh, you don't have to watch a lot of it, but watching something bad can help you. I, For example, I work in video games off and on. And occasionally I will play video games I know I will not like. Just for like half an hour or an hour. Ideally, I'm not spending money on them. Uh, but sometimes I can learn a lot from like, okay, what is this doing wrong and how can I do better? I don't know if you have pulled anything positive out of this experience. Well, I can honestly say that. So we had we had a a call last night to decide if we're not if we were going to talk about this show because mm -hmm. I emailed Eddie saying like I hate this show, <laughs> and then we like 
discussed it and if we really wanted to go through it i was of the opinion that we could do it but then how about we make it a lost episode and then we like put it out on the internet somewhere and see if anyone ever finds it see if our one fan finds it. <laughs> but then i thought about it well, if we're gonna go through to record it we should put it out so everyone can hear it so that's all three of you um <laughs> right hi mom no um I'm, I'm glad that we decided to talk about it but it has also changed i think some of the, how we're going to do some things on our on the back end Oh yeah, we're going to focus more on at least one of us having engaged with it, a uh, piece of material in depth, more in depth than we have done this season, mm-hmm. or at least have a fresher idea about it. Right, because uh, peek behind the curtain. Um, when we planned this, uh, initially we were going to focus on like '90s anime, and then our we changed and moved things around a bit as we we're discussing it. But a certain amount of it was both of us coming. We loved this stuff when we were growing up. I remember this stuff fondly. Surely it will possibly have aged badly in the past 30 years. <laughs> um, and there is one thing that we did actually lose entirely. Um, uh, and I'll just call it out. Uh, we were going to do forever uh, Pat Labor. Um, and I watched it and Pat Labor is straight up propaganda. And I was just like, I don't think we should do this. And I, before Christine watched, I was like, I'm, I'm calling him a look on this um, because I don't think anything productive is going to come from this conversation. Uh, I do think this was productive because while there's obviously hitting every single uh, landmine in the field as it goes from start to finish, there's still at least a certain amount of, you could see a potentially good show in this. Like, this could have been a really good show. And being able to talk, okay, like you said, this is the exercise of it, how would we reframe it? Or let's talk about what could have been better, how we can take these pieces more. I think those exercises are actually good for us because it helps us to also understand the genre more fully because now we're near, nearing uh, the end of the season. We can actually look at this, okay, here's some bits from shows that we liked and shows that did it well and how this show could have learned from those and vice versa. Like, you know, there's sometimes where like we could see a later show has learned from its predecessors, uh, 08 team we felt was actually a pretty strong update of some of the Macross stuff. It's like some of the guts of Macross, but updated reasonably well. It still has, so I think, the best mecha fight we've seen this whole season. Yeah, 08 team. And then, again, uh, the big O, which was the one time where we both came in uh, reasonably unprepared and were both very pleasantly surprised by what came out of it. I yeah. honestly picked it because I was like, it's going to be silly because it's obviously the studio did Batman, the animated series. And it's like, actually there's some really cool stuff. And again, really good robot fights in here. That was just was not expecting. And it has an amnesia bit, which they should have taken and used for the show instead. Right. I mean, but again, talking about, you can take a, a cliche and, and do something interesting with it. Having the protagonist have amnesia is a strong anime cliche, but they said, okay, well, everybody has amnesia now. Well, that's now, now it's interesting. Now we have a new, different way of approaching it. It's, it's, it's still a cliche, but there's something different happening with it. You can do these things and modernize and reinvent them as long as you're avoiding some of the political concerns. Um, because again, one thing we said from day one, all art is political. We're never going to get away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't use that to your advantage. You can't lean into these things. Okay, I recognize this is a trope, but sometimes the tropes help the storytelling. Like yes, Michael Michael B. Jordan is an exceptional actor. Actor. Now think about if they'd given him amnesia, and then you had then they had to go and tell him that like this is where your mother and sister lived, and they both died, and then having to like see the animation with that, and him having to act that moment of a character not remembering his family, but knowing that these are the people that loved him, like that mm-hmm. amount of high drama right there would have humanized Chase and made Chase a better character. It would have made the show better. And then it would have given additional context to everything. Like it's uh, just little changes. Right. And I think there could have been a great opportunity of having a character, a voice actor who's acting entirely in Japanese, you know, to dig into not only the uh, cultural distance that comes from not having a shared language, but also how you can still get emotional resonance, even if you don't understand every word that's being said. Because I know one thing that, because we've been trying to focus primarily on subtitled versions, that there are times where I really connect with the acting, even though I'm not a native Japanese speaker, but it's like, I still 
Like I get this guy's pain. I get this guy's anguish. I get this guy's joy or whatever. Um, and it's been really interesting to feel that in a way that I hadn't really looked at before. Um, again, uh, Macross, uh, this is, I thought that was really strong on that front. Not Macross, um, uh, OA team was really strong on this front. Uh, the big O again, surprisingly was, was had some really strong melodramatic acting. I felt, I mean, like I really bought that that villain was just really evil and maniacal. Um, so Joker is. yeah, right. I mean, but like, I, we don't understand the words, but still like, Oh yeah, I get the strong Joker vibes from this guy just by his performance. <laughs> um, so if nothing else, I feel like, we're starting to move into the deconstruction. We'll save that for the wrap up for the season. But I want to say that at this point, Genlock is the first show where I really just didn't connect at all with the performances. And I clearly cannot be the cast's fault because we're talking actors who have consistently proven that they can do this. Like you said, Michael B. Jordan, you know, David Tennant, Maisie Williams, these are all phenomenal actors uh so we've got to put the blame at the feet of the writing and the direction on that because i think i can also say if there were lesser actors doing this i would not have been able to finish it right you actually see glimpses of really strong form particularly in in uh um some of the team members it's like you get bits and pieces of this really strong performances. It's like, I, I really want to like this character, but you're, just, you're not giving me enough. And again, the actors try and sometimes actors just, they have bad material and they can't always elevate it. Can't always be, we can't all be Sylvester McCoy. Those <laughs> early scripts. All right. Do you have anything else you want to say about Jim Bach? Um, no, I, I, I think we have surprisingly filled an hour uh, of the show. All right. Um, well then, do you want to tell the folks what they can expect next time we talk about giant robot mecha? Yes, we are actually, um, perhaps inevitably, uh, but certainly uh, somewhat surprisingly, we are going to our final uh, episode next week. Um, and again, uh, thank you all for the the kind of sudden break we had to take in the middle there. Uh, it was definitely necessary, but um, while this has been an uneven season, I'm glad that we've made through. Uh, but we are going to bring on, like we did last season, a special guest to talk about Neon Genesis Evangelion. Uh, and I'm excited about this one partially because we've been talking about this to a degree about the, the genre tropes and how they're building, in, in this case, not landing. Um, and Neon Genesis is explicitly a show about deconstruction is deconstructing those tropes is a very intentional deconstruction of those tropes. And I think it's going to be really fun to talk about because whether we have enjoyed or been annoyed by these tropes, both of those are going to funnel into some interesting conversation. Uh, so we are watching uh, again, subtitled uh, we're going to be watching the Netflix subtitled version that I recognize that the Netflix subtitles a different script from the previous uh, released version and that there's controversy around that. We'll probably talk about that. Uh, but that is the one we're all working from. And we're going to look at uh, episode one, Angel Attack. Episode two, Unfamiliar Ceilings. Episode nine, Mind Matching Moment. Episode 12, A Miracle's Worth. Episode 18, Life and Death Decisions. Episode 22, Staying Human. And episode 24, The Last Cometh. Haven't seen this since it first aired. So this would be enjoyable. I have started watching it already and... There's also a new English voice acting, which I listened to a little bit of. Um, and it's, it's interesting. There's a lot of stuff I think we'll be able to dig into. I have I have comments about color schemes, for example. <laughs> awesome. All right. Uh, if folks are looking for you online, where can they find you at? You can find me on Twitter as Pugsteady. That's P-U-G-S-T-E-A-D-Y. You can find all of my work at Pugsteady.com. Or you can find me in the Darker Hue Discord where I'm getting into conversations about comic books right now. <laughs> how about you? Uh, if you're, sorry, go ahead. Oh, say, how about you? Um, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at dark underscore hue. You can find all of my work on Dark Hue website, uh, our Talisorn Games, 
any area, if throw a stick, you'll probably find something I wrote or consider writing on. And you can find me in the Darker Hue Discord talking about the superhero game that I'm making for my daughter that my wife is also begrudgingly playing it. <laughs> and Huzzah. why Arcade is an amazing villain. <laughs> I can't do Arcade now because, uh, so I'll give, I'll take a minute now to talk about this. Um, so Zora is playing Storm Grey because I'm showing her the original X-Men cartoon and she loves it we're like in the middle of second season she's like i want to play a superhero game but i want my two moms to be storm and gene and i want both their powers so she's got weather control telekinesis and telepathy and jill it's probably going to play magic and i'm trying to figure out what npc to round them out with and i'm Mm -hmm. thinking it's either going to be spider-man uh miles morales Mm spider-man shadow cat or maybe prodigy nightcrawler Mm, interesting yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, that's what you'll find me talking about a lot right now on Twitter and in the Discord, much to everyone else's chagrin. <laughs> but we uh, appreciate you folks listening, and thanks for checking out with us. Peace. Yep. See you next week. Bye.